Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus Podcast, the Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey. I'm the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. With me today is Angelo Manolados. We're going to be talking about the U.S. rates market, a little bit about the economy, and we'll, of course, have our Fun Fed Facts segment a little bit later on. Uh, today, we're going to talk about what's happened uh, in rates-related world since our uh, last update, which was uh, our post-FOMC meeting, uh, where the Federal Reserve uh, hiked interest rates 75 basis points. But since then, there's been a lot of activity, including that all-important CPI report that we received uh, as we record yesterday on the 10th. Uh, today is the 11th of August. On the 10th of August, we received that CPI report, which was a slightly better than anticipated, um, but still showed that inflation was running very hot. Even though headline dropped to 8.5%, you still had core inflation running at, at 59 not as high as uh, the consensus estimates, but still at uh, at seasonal or at multi-decade highs. Um, Angelo, you know, what stood out for you within the CPI report in terms of some of the breakdown of, uh, of some of the sectors? Was there anything in particular that was kind of worrying from inflation staying or was there anything uh, that, that, you know, looked like it, it might be rolling over and that inflation uh, not only may have peaked, but may start to trend uh, trend lower? Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. So let's start with the, the good stuff and then we'll transition to some of the other more sticky trends that we're seeing. So if if you look at uh, you know core, the whole entire like core landscape in the broad core categories in a, on a month over month season adjusted basis, you have you did see a deceleration um, in everything, including uh, uh, rents, uh, uh, but uh, rents are growing at a very rapidly at a rapid pace. So that is a good sign. You did see a deceleration amongst core services, uh, core commodities, uh, and especially uh, core CPI X, X shelter and services X shelter, but uh, all saw decelerations in their growth. So they're still positive, growing in, uh, positively, but at a decelerating uh, pace. However, we uh, Look at we break down core CPI into three volatility buckets. Look at 56 categories and uh, break it down in that manner. Our low volatility or sticky category is is hasn't peaked in a year over year terms. It may, it looks like it may be forming a peak, but it's contributing over three percent year over year to core CPI. And another uh, uh, perhaps worrying trend that we're seeing is another uh, reacceleration of this medium volatility bucket. So that's really those medium uh, of those, uh, the, the middle of those 56 categories is growing at, oh, is contributing over 1.6% to CPI. And uh, our, our study, which looks at the high categories, which actually topped out five months ago, those uh, categories for, for reference include, you know, a lot of those uh, core goods that have been very volatile and also public transportation is included in that high category, which we've seen a lot of volatility there as well. That has actually come down uh, for the last five months, but the low vol in, in, uh, category staying at that high level uh, and then that medium vol category actually accelerating month over month 
is uh, is con is concerning to us and something we're going to look out for uh, in terms of the you know the persistence of core inflationary pressures. And I think that's important to note, Angelo, because. <clears throat> If we do have uh, inflation that it continues to run at four, four and a half percent, let's just say that both the the medium term and the higher and the lower volatility sectors kind of stabilize and running at a growth rate of you know three percent for the uh, for the low volatility and even one and a half percent for the medium volatility, then that would mean that you'd have to have a very significant reduction in that higher volatility sector. So things like um, you know energy related services, for example, and and some other uh, goods categories that are in that. Uh, um, high volatility category, they'd have to be um, they'd have to be contributing like negative two percent, which means that they would have to have significant deflation. So not even running at a zero right year on year growth rate, but they would have to actually um, decelerate and actually be um, ha have deflationary um, uh, uh, aspects of those uh, of those particular sectors. So so I think maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here and thinking that inflation has rolled over. We always knew that we were going to peak in June or July, right? Which it does look like maybe we peaked in June, which is fine um, and and not a huge surprise. And and the fact that oil prices now are starting to come down, you know, below ninety dollars a barrel, not not so long ago. Um, and and that seems to be trending a little bit lower. Um, if if we uh, if we do get uh, a trend where um, where oil prices you know if nothing else fall back into a range, then then obviously over time the energy component, which was contributing a very large uh, portion of the year-on-year -year price increases, um, will ultimately fade in how much its contribution is on a year-on-year -year basis. So um, yeah, you know there. So when we think about the markets here, you know the market has been pricing in and pricing out different um, you know, Federal Reserve scenarios. So we had that very strong jobs report. And I guess now that we've talked a little bit about CPI, we should talk a little bit about the jobs report. And, and importantly from the jobs report, I, and I think that that also is pointing toward inflation being a little bit stickier because you did have uh, wage growth. So, so what we look at is aggregate labor income, which is the total number of jobs times the total number of hours worked times the average hourly wages. And when you look at at that aggregate labor income, that's still growing at nine percent year on year. So even higher than what we had for uh, in inflation. So that means you have real gains um, still in in terms of uh, um, inflation adjusted aggregate wage growth. Now there is distributional issues, right? There obviously are some people whose wages are not going up quickly, and that um, that don't have jobs, and and you know they are going to be finding this situation very uh, very difficult to contend with. But for a large majority Majority of the economy, we still see the um, this acceleration of um, of wages and aggregate the amount of money that consumers have to spend, and it's growing at the pace of inflation. So that means that you can still continue to see spending at the rate of inflation, at least if not a little bit more. So so because of that, you can wind up having inflation be much stickier than certainly um, you know most policymakers would want. And and I think that that's something that we we have to have to start thinking about contending with, which is not so much, you know, will the Federal Reserve hike to three and a half percent or four percent and when will they do that? Like those are all questions that obviously we have to ask. But I think that the thing that the market's really getting wrong is this idea that they're going to hike to three and a half percent and then start cutting almost right away. Right now the market's pricing for the for the the peak, the terminal rate for the Federal Reserve to be toward the end of the year and and or at the very beginning of 2023. And then for the Fed to start to cut in June. 
I think the risk here is, is that with all of the data that, that we're looking at and things like, you know, low volatility sectors not rolling over with with wages and and, um, uh, and average hourly earnings continuing to grow, we could wind up seeing the, the Fed, when they reach the terminal rate, stay there for a long time. And we and since the last Fed meeting, we've even heard some Fed speakers like Mary Daly of this of the San Francisco Fed Reserve and a number of others note that, you know, we think that we're going to stay at a relatively you know high uh, high rate for a longer period of time and 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 I would take them at their word at that that that's what they intend to do and I think if if we continue to have 4% inflation prints I don't see why they would start to cut like even if we saw modest increases in unemployment if we saw a little bit of a rollover in um in in the labor market then certainly you know they they wouldn't necessarily be hiking as much but right now like it's hard to it's hard to fathom how quickly things would have to reverse for the Fed to start cutting in a in a year's time. Um, Angela, was there anything in the in the employment report that that might be worth uh, worth highlighting that that hasn't been in the market narrative? Yeah, I think I think the employment report was uh, was it was interesting from that perspective. Um, when we 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 really like uh, we're really looking at service sector wages, uh, like you alluded to, and that was something that actually. Uh, Chairman Powell had brought up uh, with in the in the last presser. Uh, so, um, and something else that has been getting the attention is the divergence in strength between the uh, you know the non-farm payrolls report that we get through the establishment survey and what's going on in the household survey that has not shown that that strength. So that is something to keep an eye on going forward. But uh, as we know, the the establishment survey is what moves the markets and is is the most um, relevant uh, indicator of the we look at uh, a dozen or so of the macroeconomic indicators at, at BI and we see that uh, the uh, misses uh, and surprises in payrolls actually generate a seven basis point um, uh, absolute move in the 10-year 10-year US Treasury yield so you know the that the data that comes out with that be it average hourly earnings unemployment participation rate that whole and uh, most probably most importantly, the net change in employment does actually yield um, of the macro of the major macroeconomic indicators in the U.S. does actually yield the largest uh, uh, yield change uh, for the ten-year yield and the most volatility. So I know too that just this morning, since we were able to get the employment data and then the uh, the inflation data out of the way, um, you and I just published our kind of review of a lot of the fundamental economic trends that we look at in, in terms of uh, both inflation as well as uh, just general growth rates, things like sales. And, and you know, what's one of the things that's interesting is that you still have people that after we received the GDP report saying that, uh, you know, hey, we've had two you know quarters of negative GDP growth, um, real GDP growth, by the way, not nominal GDP growth. Nominal GDP is growing like crazy because inflation so high. Um, but the, uh, you know, and they're saying, well, we, by classic definition, we're in recession. Firstly, that, that classic definition is not the is really not the classic definition. We've had a, a much broader um, uh, recession um, definition for quite a long time within the academic community and within uh, the government. That's uh, that's a simplifying assumption for undergraduate economics classes where you talk about a you know two two negative quarters of GDP. And, but when you look at a lot of the other data, and you know I'll I'll point to um, you know some things like real retail sales. It's certainly slowing, right? Real retail sales has slowed quite a lot, but real retail sales is 
goods prices, which we know have rolled over and are starting to come down. That's why you've seen a deceleration in, in kind of that higher volatility CPI sector. Um, but it's also, uh, you're also seeing those those good sales come down because people are spending on things like services. So service um, service prices continue to climb pretty, pretty aggressively. And they also are, um, uh, there are also more units are being sold. So as people are getting out into the into the world, you still see you know this dichotomy between services and good spending, where good spending was something that was done during the recession uh, and and during the pandemic period. Now that things are reopening, you've seen this massive acceleration in um, in services spending. Um, and then you look at other other kind of indicators like household employment continues to rise, personal income is still climbing, although that seems to maybe be peaking a little bit, particularly on a real basis. Um, and, and then things like real personal consumption is still growing at um, at very significant rates uh, on a on a uh, on both a year on year and, and a sequential basis. So so we wind up with this environment where where you know the economy is not growing as quickly as it was in the first half of the year, um, probably. But we're also not really near a recession, at least based on all the indicators uh, that we look at. Um, so what does this mean for the for the market? Well, I think that it does mean that we will continue probably to um, flatten the yield curve a little bit, but we're much closer to the end. Um, it would not surprise us if the uh, two twos tens curve got to negative 65 basis points be before things are all said and done. Um, this is predicated in large part for uh, th there's two ways that we can get there. One is that the market either reprices for the Federal Reserve to hike farther than it is. So let's say that the Fed were to hike to four percent or four and a quarter percent, which is kind of our base case scenario, um, instead of the three and a half percent that's that's being priced now. If that were to happen, that's one way you can get there. The the other way is if we if we all we would have to do is price out early hikes, uh, or excuse me, early uh, interest rate cuts. So if the Federal Reserve doesn't cut in June and instead the market starts a price for the Fed not to cut till 2024, then you'd, you'd still see two-year yields wind up being significantly higher and probably 10-year yields more or less staying where they are. And in, in that kind of scenario as well, you'd wind up getting another 20 basis points or so of flattening of the yield curve. So you can get um, kind of to, um, uh, you know, basically the, the worst um, the, the, the worst or most inverted for the two's tens curve that we've had since the uh, since the stagflation period of the 1970s and early 1980s. Um, with that, I think we're going to pivot here a little bit. And uh, Angelo, let's talk a little bit about fun-fed facts. So I know you have a fun-fed fact for us today. What is it? Yeah, so uh, now we actually have a full uh, board at the FOMC uh, at the Federal Reserve. So that means that there are 12 FOMC voting members at each meeting. And the this is the first time that there are 12 voting members at a meeting since July 31st, 2013, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. So that is uh, quite a long time that we've had a you know full a full 12 uh, 12 votes at meetings, uh, and I think that's definitely a worthy fun fed fact for today. And and that's interesting because it's always been the Fed governors that have not been fully staffed. We we've had uh, presidents for. Um, or vice presidents, you know, you know, interim presidents, basically of all the regional banks. So we've always had um, the regional bank voting, but this is the first time that we've had a full swath of Federal Reserve governors. So um, with the uh, with the approval of the last couple of governors, um, you know, we're likely to see um, you know additional votes. Now, what's interesting about some of these members that that have been 
um, come in is that typically the governors tend to vote at kind of as a block. So so when the Fed chair goes into a meeting, you tend to see um, because they all work in the same building. So this might be a little bit of a different world where where some members, even Fed members uh, in, in the governors might actually, um, you know, dissent in certain situations. And especially now that we have some Biden appointees who are a little bit more on the dovish side of the uh, hawk dove spectrum um, that, you know, you can imagine that some of them may actually uh, um, may actually dissent, and uh, even though they work in the Eccles building with uh, Chair Powell. Um, Angelo, anything else on the fun fin fact side today? Um, yeah, so I think just the Fed in general, ever since the uh, the last FOMC meeting and post-presser uh, communication, I think there was a, a full-court press that really told us two things. The Fed is not quite at neutral, and the Fed doesn't want to cut in 2023. And I think that has been expressed through a swath of uh, uh, every every Fed speaker that we've kind of gotten has kind of converged and has shared those views uh, with uh, President Kashkari yesterday uh, saying that, you know, his his views are still 3.9 percent, four point uh, over four percent for 2023 in terms of Fed funds and that the data flow that we've gotten so far, which included that. CPI report yesterday that was, uh, you know, a pleasant surprise. Uh, have ha- have not changed his views. So we have we are seeing yeah we are seeing as of now a more you know definitely a more hawkish Fed a, a Fed that's you know uh, wants to you know rein in inflation and trying to talk back those those mar- those cut those 2023 cuts that the market uh, is pricing. Of course, the, the the market won't necessarily believe the Fed until they do. Um, so because, it, you know, the market clearly is thinking that at least at some point that there's going to be slow enough uh, growth and that there still is a Fed put. And like I said, I think at one of our last uh, one of our last uh, podcasts that that the, the Fed put is not as uh, is very far out of the money at this point, um, in, in my view. With that, Angelo, thank you very much for coming back on the Fick Focus podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you, listener, for listening. I've been Ira Jersey, the Chief Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. And if you have any ideas for topics or suggestions, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. And until next time, be well.